0: Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As inflation concerns continue to command investor attention and move markets, our conversation today will examine the current inflation picture, along with what the road ahead might have in store for monetary policy, and how to think about allocating your portfolio accordingly. Joining me here on the line for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation America, as well as Brian Rose, Senior Economist Americas, both with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, Brian, good morning. Great to be with you both and looking forward to our conversation today.
1: Thank
0: you, so, Brian, to get things started, as I alluded to, inflation concerns amongst investors have undoubtedly intensified in recent weeks. We look back to market activity towards the back end of last week. It told us as much. So, Brian, can you put some numbers around this in terms of what the data has been telling us recently?
1: Sure. We, we have seen a lot of inflationary pressure in, in recent months. The CPI is up 1.4% just over the last two months. And that gave us a 5% inflation rate in May. Uh, Core CPI was up 3.8% year-over-year in May. That's the highest since 1992. And what's happening is that the supply side is simply unable to keep up with strong demand. And as a result, prices have to rise to bring supply and demand back into balance. And since the pandemic hit, there's been a big shift in consumer spending towards goods. And at the same time, the pandemic itself makes it harder to produce goods. So you have a lot of labor shortages that are disrupting supply chain. So, uh, again, supply can't keep up with demand, and that is producing inflation at the moment.
0: Okay, well, Brian, that was very helpful in terms of painting the picture of the near-term situation. Now, as we look ahead, Brian, what is the Chief Investment Office's view on whether inflation is transitory? And if so, why? Well,
1: most of this should be transitory so uh, you know the bottlenecks and the, the shortages that we have now won't last forever and in fact some prices are clearly unsustainable at current levels uh, so for example used cars they're up 30 uh, percent since the pandemic and in some cases they're selling for more than new cars because uh, you know there's such strong demand and we have the bottlenecks uh, preventing us from, from producing a lot of new cars. And so those prices will be going back down as the bottlenecks uh, are, are resolved. And to sustain really high inflation, you need wages to rise because labor costs are really the key driver in the long run. And we have seen some wage increases, especially if for lower-paying jobs, but you're not seeing the very rapid, broad-based wage hikes that you'd need to sustain a higher rate of inflation in the long run. And also keep in mind that the Fed is still an inflation-targeting central bank. If inflation threatens to run out of control, the Fed will step on the brakes. So anything above around 3% inflation on a sustained basis, that's beyond the Fed's tolerance And they have the tools they need to to bring inflation back down if, if they really need to.
0: So, Brian, running with that for a few moments. So you just mentioned that a key part of the outlook is based on the Fed. So, Brian, I'm curious, how do you interpret what the Fed signaled last week with the change in its dot plot and what that means for its average inflation targeting framework and therefore future policy?
1: Yeah, this was really interesting. So what you saw last week is... In the dot plot, which shows where the FOMC members expect rates to be in the future, the dots went up more than expected. And the majority of the FOMC now expects rate hikes to start either at the you know, very late next year or in twenty twenty three. But if you look at the economic forecasts, which back backs that up, the only big change was higher inflation this year is uh, the inflation forecast for 2022-2023 really didn't change very much. And under average inflation targeting, the higher inflation we're seeing now, that helps to make up for the shortfalls in previous years that we've had in inflation. And so the Fed is saying now that they're going to start to hike rates, even if inflation is just a little bit above their 2% target, and this, of course, assumes that the labor market is also uh, strong. But keep in mind, there's no guarantee that inflation will be, actually be above 2% in you know, late next year or, or in 2023. So it's possible that you know, the recent events, uh, you know, that we have higher inflation expectations, that should help us to sustain somewhat higher inflation, but, uh, you know, the outlook is uh, still, uh, you know, highly uncertain. And again, you're going to have uh, some, some of these prices, out uh, high prices we have now coming down. So, you know, it could be that inflation goes a bit above 2% and the Fed starts hiking. But also certainly possible that inflation, again, gets stuck below 2%. And in that case, the Fed is just on hold. Basically, they promised, you know, never to raise rates, uh, unless inflation goes, goes up, you know, is above 2% at,
0: at the time. Okay. So with those implications to the trajectory of Fed policy in mind, I do want to now welcome into the conversation, Jason Dreho as we switch over to asset allocation. So Jason, what do investors need to think about or do here if inflation does stay stubbornly high?
2: Well, I think part of what they have to do is rethink the playbook they've been using for the past decade. So prior to the pandemic, we were in this really decade-long period of you know, disinflationary growth. Uh, in going forward, you end up getting higher inflation that's just sort of sustainably higher. We will be in an environment that you can kind of classify as sort of inflationary growth or even worst case scenario, stagflation. inflation, but I think that's, that's unlikely. And this matters because if you have a sort of inflationary growth environment, um, you know, there's, there's ways you have to think about allocating or investing and managing your portfolio that would be different than more, what was in this regime prior to the pandemic. So some asset classes that, you know, lagged for a number of years could become up The overall returns could be, you know, perhaps less, certainly on a real, you know, basis after inflation adjusted basis could be lower. Uh, you want to think about then protecting your portfolio from uh, inflation. So, you know, certainly looking for asset classes that can do well in this type of environment is a key part of that. But I think even before you do that, I think it's understanding, you know, how the dynamics of a basic almost stock bond portfolio work. In a situation where we do get more inflation, it likely leads to you know higher rates. You know, maybe higher rates also because real interest rates are going up because of you know the Fed you know, tightening to cool some of the you know that overheating. In this situation, you typically get correlations between stocks and bonds that become sort of positively correlated, meaning stocks and bonds both rally at the same time but they also kinda of sell off at the same time. This is in contrast to the negative correlation that existed really for the past, you know, twenty years. And this matters because you know, for diversification, you want them sort of, you know, bonds to give you that diversified aspect of uh, you know to equities. If that's not the case, then you have to look for other asset classes that can help sort of you know, diversify your portfolio. Um, and then uh, just thinking about, uh, you, know, you know, the dynamics in the market overall, it makes a difference. So, you know, high inflation is a problem, but out to high inflation is now falling to a more moderate level, that's actually okay or if inflation is elevated, but growth is also very strong, that's usually a sort of a better sign for equity market performance. So the context of what's going on in the macro economy overall, not just the pure level of inflation matters, sort of the initial conditions in terms of what markets are pricing, what assumptions are pricing matters. So, yeah, I think that the short answer is really that you know the playbook for how you want to manage your portfolios in an inflationary environment is different than what investors have been used to really for the past decade.
0: So, Jason, you mentioned equity market performance. I, I did side towards the top of our conversation, the market activity we witnessed last week, where U.S. equities, they did have their worst week in several months in lot of these inflation concerns. So how might that in turn, Jason, translate to the Fed's policy stance? And, Jason, what do you think the Fed's actions last week mean for investors and asset allocation
2: well let's you know keep in mind that what the fed sort of did last week was just purely kind of signaling future you know changes in potential policy rates you know, two years on the line it shouldn't impact in any way you know the actual growth and in inflation outlook in the next you know six months even 12 months you know the current trajectory they're on that should continue and the fed's response unless they really start to take action didn't really change that sort of you know material. I think where it matters is what the Fed is signaling about, you know, the future scenario, one, two, three years down the line, uh, you know, the possibility of inflation kind of, you know, running away of, of a stagflation-like scenario. That's kind of less likely after what the Fed sort of signaled last week in terms of how much inflation it's willing to tolerate. There's been a scenario, you know, we call it sort of the roaring 20s, where, you know, growth is very strong. Inflation is certainly above pre-pandemic levels. Maybe even interest rates are higher, you know, last week's, you know, signal from the Fed suggests that maybe they might also be a little bit less willing to let the economy run hot to allow this scenario to materialize. It's not the only factor, but that's, that's you know, a possibility. Instead, it seems to be the kind of lower for longer regime that we're in for a number of years, uh, low interest rates, low growth, uh, low inflation, maybe that will ultimately resume once we get, you know, through all the pandemic effects, you know, kind of, kind of washing through the economy. I think the, the move last week was interest rates, you know, you know the yield declined, especially the back end. You know, the 30-year bond was down 30 or you know, 20 basis points. The five-year bond was up about eight basis points of the curve, flattened quite a bit inflation expectations come down. So just the rates market overall, effectively was signaling that, you know, maybe we'd go back into this lower for longer environment, which matters for the dollar. You know, it's sort of, you know, we saw kind of dollar strength on the back of a potentially more hawkish Fed. You know, we saw gold, which tends to move opposite of interest rates, you know, kind of pull back. I and mean, then in equity markets, we we saw you know sort of this move towards some of this reflation or recovery trade that's been very strong for for many months. That's kind of pulled back. We saw kind of growth, kind of recover. So that's you know created some uncertainty going forward. Is like just how aggressive Fed will be? What is the right playbook? Is it an inflation sort of playbook or reflation playbook, or do we go back to the old playbook? I think for the next month or two, uh, we're in you know, on the markets going to be sort of jostling between these two different or even maybe multiple scenarios. Uh, you know, the markets can also be very sensitive to any economic data that comes in because, you know, the Fed's not going to respond, you know, reacting to that Fed data. So, you know, market volatility could be, uh, you know, certainly, you know, elevated in, in the situation. Uh, um, and so I think that that sort of it creates a bit of a, you know, you know, Potentially in the overall you know, outlook, but I think you know not significantly.
0: Jason, with all of that in mind, so it sounds like there's a lot that will be playing out over the next couple of months, and we'll have a better idea of the inflation picture comes the fall. So, what are you recommending, Jason, that investors do, and where do you see opportunities at this time?
2: Well, I think the overall outlook still is you know, fairly, fairly constructive for, for equities in particular over the next you know, six months. Uh yeah, you know, growth is is very strong in the US. It's gonna accelerate probably in the rest of the world as you new know, parts of the economies open up in Europe, other developed markets, and then you new know, parts of the EM later this year. Inflation is probably peak and it's likely to come down and that tends to be a positive all sequel for, for risk assets. And for all the talk about the Fed last week, you know, they haven't actually changed policy yet. And interest rates are even down a little bit. So financial conditions are still very, very loose. Um so all that's positive for the outlook. So equities, you know, we think can still grind higher over the next six months. Uh, maybe the upside scenarios aren't quite as bullish. So like the idea of a market melt up is perhaps that risk is is reduced. Whereas you have to get very strong data or or the Fed indicates perhaps even more hawkish stance than the market's assuming now that could lead to, you know, a little more downside risk. Um, I think the, our overall view though is ultimately good economic data is going to lead, you know, rates to kind of move higher. A lot of the move we saw in rates last week was more position, positioning as investors adjusted to it. But our view is that it's still the 10-year is likely to trend towards 2% by year-end. And if that happens, that's still a favorable for you know, some value stocks, financials. Um, you know, Energy outlook is still very constructive. We've upgraded our, our forecast for oil, the price of oil by the end of September. And higher rates also equal are, are negative for growth. Um, and so the, the near term, there might be a little bit of you know, volatility. You know, and Directionally we still think that this inflation trade has room to run. Uh, and given the moves we've seen just over the past few days, you know, now may not be the time to kind of you know, get out of it, given what the market has responded. A couple of things that we're looking for just very near term that could be catalyst to support it uh, is one is, you know, just the economic data. And so we'll get the June's job number on July 2nd. Um, seeing how that data comes out, if it's good but not fantastic, that would actually be sort of ideal. But perhaps the biggest catalyst near term is on the fiscal side, uh, there's negotiations going on right now for a bipartisan infrastructure deal coming out of the Senate. The Democrats are also working on a budget reconciliation deal. We will know or have greater sense in the next two weeks which path is likely. You know, we still think it's more likely budget reconciliation, but that could even be more likely in about two weeks if the bipartisan negotiations sort of you know, break apart. Right now, the market's not sort of pricing for that kind of outcome uh, of a deal, staying in the neighborhood of, of two trillion dollars. You know, what's you know tax increases kind of financing roughly half of that. If that looks like it's becoming more likely, that's a tailwind for for rates going higher for this kind of rotation trade to continue. So I think for investors to kind of give up on that right now, I think just be careful because you know in two weeks before the July Fourth long weekend, we can get some news that. Would provide another tailwind as we head into the summer. Uh, So with that, I'll I'll
0: stop. Well, Jason and Brian, very helpful and insightful conversation to begin the week, and we will certainly track this inflation story and what the data tells us over the next few weeks and months very closely. Jason and Brian, again, thank you for your time, your insights today, and we'll look forward to catching back up again with you on the podcast soon. Thanks, Dan. Welcome. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, head of asset allocation for the Americas, as well as Brian Rose senior economist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office so as a reminder to our clients and listeners the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments asset classes and portfolio allocation these resources can all be located up on ubs.com Forward slash CIO. Now that includes in part the publication that Brian and Jason have been making reference to during our conversation today, that being the July UBS House View publication suite, including the monthly letter titled Predator or Prey, which is authored by Chief Investment Officer for Global Wealth Management, Mark Hanfley. So this is the July UBS Houseview Publication Suite available for you now up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about the UBS Houseview Publication Suite for July or receive a copy of the publication suite directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes,